Welcome to the Sword on the Trowel, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jerry Longshore. I'm Tom Askell. Thanks for listening to the Sword on the Trowel today. Delighted to have you with us. Uh, we are quite excited about the Institute of Public Theology, which is launching this fall. We have two courses teed up coming at the end of August. Dr. Tom Nettles is going to teach a course, and then you're going to be teaching a course on pastoral theology and being a pastor in the public square. Mm-hmm. We also have a convocation scheduled with Dr. Everett Piper. We're going to have a wonderful time together. Yeah, that's on a Saturday, August the 28th, and you're invited to attend this. You do need to RSVP. You can go to the website, instituteofpublictheology.org, and find out more information there. We want to take a moment, too, just to thank all of our Founders Alliance members and Founders Alliance churches. We're not able to do what we do apart from your prayer support and your financial support. And if you want more information about how you can partner with us, just go to the Founders website, and there's information there about both the fam and the fact. While you're there, you should check out our conference coming up in January, January 20th through the 23rd, Militant and Triumphant mm. on the Doctrine of the Church. That's going to be down here in Southwest Florida. Uh, you'll be preaching, Tom. I'll be preaching. Vody Bacham will be preaching. Conrad and Bayway will be yeah. preaching. And Pastor James Coates from up in Canada will be joining us. And we're going to have a wonderful time. We had a blast last <laughs> year at the conference, and we're looking forward to seeing everybody again for this year's conference. Yeah, and speaking of uh, Vody Bacham, he is one of the founding faculty members of the Institute of Public Theology. He'll be teaching a course in January just before our conference that you just referenced. And this book, Fault Lines, has taken the evangelical world by storm. We now have it available at our Founders Bookstore. So if you don't have a copy of it, you can get it at a deep discount from founders.org. Just go there. But uh, Vody's going to uh, be with us for the conference. He's going to be teaching his course on cultural apologetics for the Institute of Public Theology just before the conference. That's right. And if If you have not yet signed up for the Founders Conference coming up in January, uh, you'll need to know that rates increase August 1st. And so beat that rate increase. Go to founders.org and register to join us down here in January. Well, you have to have been living under a rock somewhere not to have heard about the plagiarism scandal that is running rampant throughout the SBC. Uh, Ed Litton, the newly elected president of the Southern Baptist Convention, is a pastor in Mobile, Alabama, and it has come out that he has been plagiarizing over several years sermons from J.D. Greer. Uh, When this first was made known, just after the convention, there was a sermon from Romans 1 where uh, Ed Litton was saying that God whispers about sexual sin, but then he shouts about sins like pride and greed and other things. Well, that sounded just like what J.D. Greer had said a couple of years before. So somebody, I don't know who, began to go back and listen to Greer's sermon and listen to Ed Litton's sermon and discovered that indeed Ed Litton was lifting, sometimes word for word, phrase by phrase, exactly what J.D. Greer had said. And so they, they spliced together these two sermons on clips. They put them on a YouTube channel that's called Pastor Plagiarism. So you can go to that channel and see now what are like seven or eight examples of him doing this, not just from his Roman series in 2020, I think it was when he preached that, but also you can see it as early as 2015, where he plagiarized a sermon from J.D. Greer from 2013. Well, when that one sermon was all that was public, Ed Litton issued a statement and he said, you know, I had permission from J.D. to do this. And J.D. told me, you know, if you're 
gun shoots my bullets and you take and load it and, and do that with it. J.D. issued a statement also saying, hey, you know, uh, yeah, you know, I, Ed asked me about this and I just said, sure, you know, use my stuff. That's fine. And just want the word of God to go out. So it's just kind of like a friendly thing between buddies that said, I like this and I want to use it and fine, you can use it. Ed in that statement said, I've gone back and looked through the 40 plus sermons of the Roman series. And I also use some other outlines of JD's and other sermons and some titles. And so, you know, I just want to acknowledge that as well. Well, since that time, now there are multiple examples of Ed Litton using word by word, phrase by phrase, not just matters of exegesis and even some mistakes that JD made exegetically. Ed repeats the mistakes, which indicates that he didn't go back and check the text in what JD was saying. I mean, JD probably just flubbed up in memory on it, but Ed makes the same flub in memory or in his uh, plagiarism of it, but also in personal illustrations where JD talks about um, being and driver's ed and the the instructor in the passenger seat had the brake pedal over there and so he could slam on the brake just to prove who was in charge of the car and ed tells the same story you know and it's just i mean it's improbable that these things happen to both of them in exactly the same way and then he applies it in a way that i think is, is really not wise uh, in how you apply it but nevertheless they applied it both in the exact same way and ed did it a couple of years after jd so uh, here's one example where J.D., they're preaching through uh, Romans 8, and J.D. says, here are five things, five selves that I've never told you before, and he gives it to his congregation. And then a couple of years later, uh, Ed Litton, word for word, says the same thing. You can watch this, and you can get more if you go to the pulpit or pastor plagiarism channel on YouTube. Hostility to God in Romans would be defined according to the five selves. I don't think I've given you this before. The five selves. Let me, let me give you five selves. Okay, self-will. All right, I wanna do what I wanna do. The first one is self-will. Not God's will, my will. I, you know, I don't really care what God wants me to do. I'm gonna do what I wanna do. Here's the second characteristic, self-glory. Secondly, there's self-glory. Um, self-gratification. Third is self-gratification. Then there is self-righteousness. Here's the fourth one, self-righteousness. And then the last one, self-sufficiency. There's a fifth one, and it's self-sufficiency. And as you think like that, the Spirit surges in you. You see, when we think this way, the Holy Spirit begins to surge in our life. From this, there's no doubt that he is specifically taking J.D. Greer's words, J.D. Greer's ideas, and he's just regurgitating them. And he's not giving any credit to J.D., which he says, you know, in his statement that he issued about the one sermon, you know, I'm sorry I didn't do that. But he's coming across like this is his work these are his words, his thoughts, these communicating to his people. And it's just not true. Mm. And so it's created a real, uh, somewhat of a crisis. It's a crisis for many Southern Baptist churches and pastors. I was telling you that, uh, man, I've had conversations with multiple pastors. I don't even know how many since the convention and these things began to come out who are saying, what are we going to do? I mean, they're being pressured by their churches to leave the conventions. And how can we follow the leadership of a man who so blatantly is being uh, dishonest in his preaching? And why won't he resign? And where are his elders? And where is his church? And so we just thought this is an opportunity for us to talk about what do you do? Because pastors are not above temptation and sin. I mean, we do sin. We face the temptations that every Christian faces. And we have some peculiar temptations like not doing our own work 
and then pretending that it is our own work. So how should a church respond? How should a man respond whenever he's caught in this type of situation? So we thought this would be a wonderful conversation for us to have to try to think biblically about what should be done in this type of situation. Yeah, and even before getting into the response, I think you have to really identify the sin involved. So we use this word plagiarism uh, that's going to be categorized under (coughs) thou shalt not steal. This is one of God's 10 commandments to Mm -hmm. us. You're not to steal. And we need to look at the Ed Litton situation and say what's really going on here. I would, uh, here's a brief qualification up front. You know, when you're, when you're preaching, there's going to be anecdotes that you've heard before that you can't remember where you heard them. Mm -hmm. You know, there's going to be an illustration maybe that has been used before and you can't remember, or there's going to be an application that you heard when you were 12 years old sitting in church and all of a sudden, you know, you put that forward. And with sermons being videoed, I'm sure that there can be some work where you begin to splice in things and you even mannerisms, you know, Mm -hmm. like, look, this person did this and this person did this same kind of move. There could be a lot of those parallels like that. And I think we should be cautious about saying, well, this is clear cut plagiarism because, uh, you know, well, this person was preaching Romans eight one and said, therefore there is now no condemnation. And then this person said the same thing. Well, it's like, (laughs) well, they're using the same book. So you, I, I think there should be a, some, some room to say, let's make sure we know what's going on here. Uh, that's the qualification. In the case of Ed Litton, what uh, you see from the abundance of evidence is that there are multiple ways that Ed is simply just following J.D. Greer. He's right. just taking J.D. Greer's work. You see that from introductions to sermons that are identical. Um, you see that, as you've mentioned, uh, from illustrations, uh, even personal ones about driving a car that are identical. You see that in applications, these are the different components of a sermon. Uh, for those of you who are familiar, you know, with you kind of the way you would structure your, your preaching, you see that in the, in the structure, in the outline uh, mm-hmm. of what's going on. You see that even in some kind of the um, aside comments that you make in a sermon where Jay, in one section, JD says, you know, this is going to be a tough day and he's preaching a certain text and he says, I want you to all turn, turn to your neighbor and say, this is going to be a tough day for you. Uh, well, that's, to- that's not illustration. That's not application. That's not not an outline that's not exegetical that's just a a, personality that's a personality and ed takes that same thing on the same text and says to his congregation it's gonna be a tough day turn to the neighbor (laughs) and so you you are taking uh, in a holistic manner uh, you're taking a whole sermon and then that's not just happening on one sermon that's happening on multiple sermons so i don't think there's any uh, leg to stand on here if you look at this evidence you're going to know this is Stealing. This right. is this is not doing the work that is necessary when you are a pastor to dig in and study the text and to pray over that text and to think about your people mm-hmm. and as uh, as one who is going to proclaim God's word to a living congregation, a living word to a living congregation, have actually worked through that mm-hmm. and meditated upon that. Indeed, anybody that's in pastoral ministry knows that there are some weeks where you have more time to do that. There are some weeks where you have less time to do that, but this is your primary task. You are you are obligated to go before the Lord, to read the text, meditate on the text, and feed God's people with his word. Right. And it's clear from what we see here that that, that is being neglected. So, mm-hmm. You've got to identify that and you got to face up to that. Yeah. And, and I want to underscore too, that man, as pastors who preach 
regularly. Uh, I mean, we use all kinds of tools. I mean, last night or your recent sermon that you preached on Psalm 16, you said a, a quote has been handed down to us through church history. And I don't know if that was in your notes or not, but if, if it wasn't in your notes, you weren't real sure about who it was from. So mm-hmm. you didn't say it, but you didn't try to pretend like you made up that the I quote. made up. Yeah, you know? uh, religion begat prosperity <laughs> yeah. and the dollar ate the mother. Yeah. I think it was Cotton Mather, but or I wasn't increase. sure. Yeah, so I say or it's come Mather. down to us from church history. Yeah. Right? And I'm thinking about my recent sermon um, on Romans 9. You know, I mean, I, I quoted Robert Haldane. I quoted, quoted John Piper. I quoted Tacitus. Uh, but I used information that I gleaned from studying Lloyd-Jones and John Murray and Tom Schreiner and Leon Morris and any number of other books that I'm regularly consulting. And there are times when I got thoughts from specific people in my notes. If you go look, I'll put a little uh, parenthesis or even a footnote in there and just say, see page so-and-so from Murray, just for my future reference. If I ever want to go back and study this, or if I ever use these notes in any printed form, then you know I can go and make sure that clear uh, credit is given. So we're not saying that you preach a footnoted sermon. You know, uh, mm-hmm. It's not that, but it is just simply being honest. It's not breaking the ninth commandment. It, it's not stealing. It's simply honoring God's word as the shepherd. One of the things that's come out in the wake of this too is you've heard pastors say, well, you know, I'm a communicator. God's called me to be a communicator. I don't think communicator is in the list of offices that God gives to the church. We're shepherds. We're to feed and we're to feed that from which we have determined, gleaned from our, for our own souls in the study of God's word. Mm-hmm. So with all of that foundationally, now then we've got what I think is an undeniable example of a man who has stolen another man's work, even if he had permission every time he did it, which I think is at least questionable, and then has deceptively set it forth as if it is his own work. Yeah, and I, you know, uh, there's a connection between what's happened here in this plagiarism, in these plagiarism examples with Ed Litton, and how particularly the Southern Baptist Convention and probably uh, even broader evangelicalism is operating. I remember the Southern Baptist Convention, Resolution 1 was we're not going to let any theological interests supersede our commitment to evangelism. And the world is watching. Mm. And so it seems the way that the world hears us, the way that we as communicators communicate to the world is far more important than theology, mm-hmm. than study, than meditation upon the word, than biblical truth. And that's what happens when you drift into plagiarism. I'm a pastor. I've only got so much time. I need to work on my on my rhetoric. I need to work on the way that I'm going to communicate. Um, and then I'm going to hedge on the time I'm actually studying in the text yeah. and prayerfully considering what God is saying and how this word is going to be applied to the congregation that I'm shepherding. And I think we have an opportunity here. We need to address well, what would you do and what ought Ed Litton to do and what ought his elders to do, his church to do. But take a moment and consider that this is an example like this is a this is an application of a deeply rooted problem that I think is yeah. pervasive throughout uh, a lot of the Southern Baptist Convention. It shows where what we really think is important yeah. and what we think is not important. There's a church planter that recently has come public and he said, you know, when I was first starting out as a church planter, I was taught, I was instructed, don't spend time preparing sermons. You can mm-hmm. find sermons anywhere. You can get your sermons off the internet. You've got real work to do, and you got to do this, 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 this to get this church going. 
And that's a culture. I mean, that's a mentality. I don't think anybody, you know, had nefarious motives in telling him that. I think they were trying to just what be they very practical. That's right. There's nothing wrong with this. But it does show how deep the rot has gone and how pervasive it is. So what should a church do? I mean, you know, if, if a pastor is uh, guilty of sin, of, of some significant sort, and it becomes known, however it becomes known, what should a church do? Yeah, well, you know, our ecclesiology is huge here. And so you're, sadly, this is now extremely public and by nature, it's going to be public today because sermons are uh, videoed, but it's in the New York Times. It's in a lot of the um, secular uh, news sources that are out there. But our ecclesiology says, well, that church, Edlitton's Church is an independent congregation Mm -hmm. and there is an authority that is vested in that congregation. I don't know how Ed's church is actually structured, but uh, it should be structured with elders who are going going to lead that church. And uh, they need to set up shop and actually get down to business with what's, Mm -hmm. what ought to be done with Edlitton. So if you're the elders at that church, you need to acknowledge what now is very public and you need to gather all of that data and say, well, has our pastor of this church been guilty of stealing other uh, people's stuff? Now, whether, okay, well, J.D. has already said that he could have it. Okay, so is that really stealing if J.D. says that he can have it? Okay, well, maybe it's not stealing. So what is it? We it's know deceptive. that something's it's wrong still with deceptive. it. Well, one, it's deceptive. Uh, two, it's a neglect of what his actual responsibility is as mm-hmm. a shepherd of this congregation, as one who is called out, who has been set aside to actually feed this congregation the word of God. And then you probably would start to see connections between his plagiarism and what's going on with J.D. Greer and the fact that the doctrinal statement of the church when he was elected to be the president of the convention had heresy in its doctrine of God and then was swiftly changed the next day, the day after he was elected to be president. And you say, well, we've got deeper problems in our congregation, brothers. Mm -hmm. We've got deeper problems right here as elders of this church. We need to address this directly with Ed, but we need to see, yeah, what's going on here? What's a neglect of actually this congregation being fed the word of God? That's right. There's two levels that we need to think about this on. If you're in the SBC, uh, he's the president of the SBC. Well, there's not a mechanism specifically in place for removing a president of the SBC. I mean, evidently this type of scenario was never envisioned by those that founded uh, the convention and established the constitution and the bylaws and how's they, how they've been amended through the years. Uh, I don't know why it never struck anyone to think, what do we do if a president uh, suddenly gets caught up in some crime or some scandalous sin? Uh, how do we handle that? But nevertheless, there's nothing in the SBC documents for that. But the SBC documents default to Robert's Rules of Order, which does have provision for removing officers in it. And so the executive committee may have to deal with this hot potato. They may have to recognize that acting as the convention ad interim in between the sessions of the annual meetings, that they have a responsibility to address the issue if there is indeed uh, the kind of scandalous sin that seems undeniable to execute steps to try to remove Ed Litton from office if he will not resign. That's one level. The, the more important level is the local church you just talked about. And I just, man, 
if, if the congregation cares for his soul, if his fellow elders care for his soul, they need to come alongside him. The scripture is not oblivious to this. The scripture doesn't uh, leave this unanticipated. Paul specifically addresses this in 1 Timothy chapter 5. He writes this in verses 19 through 21. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest may also fear. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Now, I just want to pause here and underscore the fact that this is that inerrant Bible that we say we believe in the SBC that speaks without equivocation on what to do if an elder is found guilty of a sin. And it tells us two things. One, here's how you're not supposed to deal with this. So if somebody just made an accusation, you know, hey, man, our pastor's stealing sermons off the internet. Well, what proof do you have? I just, I just know it in my gut. You know, I just have a sense that he's doing it. Well, that's not even to be entertained. I mean, you, it's not that you don't convict him without more than one line of evidence. You don't even entertain it. That's a rumor. But if someone comes and says, you know what, here's our pastor's sermon from last week, and here's a sermon from another pastor that was preached two years ago, and look at them. They're the same sermon. Well, now then, okay, you've got not just the testimony of the one who found it out, but you've got a line of evidence that has a manuscript or a, a recording, and you can look at these two and say, here they are. You know, this is, this is it. So that's what we just played earlier. Uh, J.D. Greer speaking first, and then Ed Litton following him almost word for word. So if you've got that, what do you do? Well, Paul tells you what to do. Those who are sinning who go on in this sin, who are guilty of this sin, are to be rebuked and to be rebuked publicly so that the other elders will take to heart the seriousness of the situation. And then Paul underscores it with a sense of this is to be done without prejudice, without partiality. Oh, but he's a good guy. He does wonderful things. He invests in church planters. He's been a longtime pastor here. That type of of consideration is not to factor in. It's to be done on the basis of what is right, what is wrong, what is just, what is unjust, and a right judgment's to be made for the church of Jesus Christ. So leaders have to take stands. The whole church has to be involved. Yeah, and you know, I mean, we've dealt with enough of these situations as local pastors that you're going to get in the room and when the conversations really uh, begin, one of the first things that's going to be advanced by those who are hesitant to deal with this in a robust way is, well, J.D. said, J.D. said he could have them. And, you know, brothers, I mean, if this was scandalous sin, if he was if he was involved in an affair or anything like that, well, we would deal with it. But what we're dealing with here is another pastor that said, here, you know, use my bullets, use my bullets. And uh, our pastor was was busy with things. He was in a season of ministry that was uh, requiring great amounts of his time. And uh, he, he's beginning to acknowledge that he, he borrowed a little too much, that he hasn't been as, as faithful as he ought to have been. And yet uh, we're dealing with no, there's no, there's no uh, theft involved because this was given and there's going to have to be pressed. I, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to have to actually, this is where you need to have a robust understanding of what you're called to do as a pastor to see just how egregious what has happened. Now there's people that are putting it on Twitter and seeing it, you know, straight plagiarism and all of that stuff. And what's involved in that word, you automatically think with plagiarism, I use somebody else's stuff without their permission. Well, now what do you do when you have somebody says, well, he had my permission. Well, now you actually need a theological 
understanding of what you're called to do as a pastor. I mean, one first Timothy chapter four, verse 16, uh, the apostle Paul says to the younger minister, Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching persist in this for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Think about that. The apostle saying to Timothy, this is what you're to do. Keep a close watch on the teaching. Mm -hmm. And this is how important it is. By so doing, you will save yourself and your hearers. Now let's take that text and honestly examine what's going on here. Can we honestly say that we were keeping a close watch on the teaching that Ed was keeping a close watch on the teaching. No, it's evidenced by what's going on with all of these sermons. That's not keeping a close watch mm-hmm. on the teaching. That's not devoting yourself to the word of God and to prayer and to meditation upon that truth. It's taking someone else's stuff and it's presenting it as if it's your own and neglecting that duty to which you were called. And those elders need to act on that. Yeah. And this is not, um, this is not an irredeemable sin. No, uh, you also need to acknowledge that when you're called to an office, there's going to be a greater account given that's got to be operating. Do you know what it means to be called to the pastoral ministry? Do you know the responsibility that is on your shoulder? You're going to be, you're one who Hebrews 13, 17 says, you're going to give an account to God for these souls that you're ministering to day in and day out. That's got to be brought to bear on Ed with great love and genuine uh, mm-hmm. compassion toward him and the willingness to speak the truth to him in this moment to say, you need to step down from what you have been doing. You need to, you need to take time off to reconsider again, what it is you have been called to and how uh, through whatever it is going on in life, I don't know all the details, but why that has been neglected, why yeah. this route has been taken uh, for the sake of Ed's well-being, for the sake of that church's well-being, that church needs to move in that direction. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I mean, there seems to be something much, much deeper going on than what we've even been given uh, insight into with all this evidence. Uh, you, you remember whenever he announced to be uh, a candidate for the presidency, or not too long after that, somebody dis- or he, he made a statement about he doesn't believe in women pastors and churches do it differently, but we don't have women preach at uh, our church in Mobile. And then a day or two later, there's a a video of him and his wife where she's saying, you know, this is our last sermon in this series. And so the question was raised, how could you say that you don't have women preach and yet you're preaching with your wife? She's talking about the sermons that you've preached together. And he said, well, look, that was on family. You know, we just did a little series on this. She had some helpful thoughts. I wanted to include her. Well, another series now has come to light in 2013 called something like Weird because normal's not working or normal's not good enough or something. And he and his wife co-taught that series as well. Mm -hmm. And I was struck by this statement that someone sent to me from the fourth sermon in that series. He begins a sermon with this. The day you are exposed as a fraud could be your greatest day. The day that you or I are exposed as a fraud could be our greatest day. Have you ever been exposed? Think back to a time in your life where someone exposed your lie, your sin, your failure, It didn't feel like your greatest day, did it? But the Bible teaches us that it could be. Now, I didn't listen to that, but I'm quite confident where he's going with it is, man, if you've got sin, you've covered up and it gets exposed, praise God, there's a savior for sin and you can deal with that sin honestly rather than trying to manage it or hold it down and go on being unexposed. So when God exposes it, that is a step toward healing. We've seen that countless times here in our own church, in our own pastoral ministries, And I'm thinking, okay, that was Ed Litt in 2013. Fast forward to eight years later, 2021. And I just want to say, somebody go play that sermon for Brother Ed again 
and just plead with him. I mean, how much, how much do his leaders, how much do his church, how much does his church have to not care about his soul to just let him go on in what multiple lines of evidence now suggest is fraudulent. It's dishonest. And I don't care about the SBC presidency. So many people are making this political. You know, there's, oh, you guys just want the vice president to step up and be uh, the next president. The vice president is a black man, and he's a very outspoken critic of CRT. And so anything I say, you say, or folks that have his position on those issues are going to be accused with just trying to play politics. I don't care. Leave it vacant. Put your other guy, whoever you want to be president of the SBC in there. I'm concerned about this man's soul. I'm concerned about his church. And if the leaders that God has given to that church have uh, his best interest at heart and that church's best interest at heart, they need to go to the word, read 1 Timothy, the whole book, read chapter 4, verse 16, chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, pray, and then sit down and have the conversations that need to be had with him. What an opportunity for the day of his exposure to become the greatest day of his life. Yeah, it's a bitter thing to talk about, right? Anytime you're addressing uh, people's sins, especially stuff that was concealed, and then yeah. it's just kind of like pure ethics. This is a case that's hard to talk about, and this is a very public podcast, <clears> and then people <throat> say, well, why do you talk about it? Well, it's public, number mm-hmm. one. So we don't, this is something that is out right. there. Everybody knows that it is existing right now, and to this point, uh, we have no word about him stepping down from being the SBC mm-hmm. president. Our church is in happy cooperation with the SBC. So I don't think anybody should have any problem with addressing what's going on uh, publicly. And um, I genuinely love Ed. <laughs> so look at this guy. And I think I know that this is not a comfortable position for him right. to be in. He's probably there's going to be people that are out to get him. That's right. totally true. Right. And those people aren't serving him at all because they're not actually helping him to come to grips with the fact that Jesus Christ is dead and risen again. And every one of us have sinned and every one of us are guilty of stealing. And so let's just uh, look at this and say, okay, I need to repent and believe and I need to trust my elders. Elders need to engage and figure out what we're going to do about all of this. But because he is president of the SBC, you can't help but um, see this as an example of what is pervasive throughout. And and it needs to be seen this way. You know, we often talk about the presidents that we get in the nation. And the problem is, well, you're a democratic republic. So if you're upset about who you elected, you know, who, who, you, who do you have to point to? To point to you. You're going to see, um, not, not always and in every circumstance, but you're often going to have these heads that you appointed that represent you very well. Mm-hmm. And we have to come to grips with the fact that this is the president of the SBC that we elected at the same time that we said as a people that we're not going to let theological interests supersede our evangelism. Right. Well, we're not going to let it. I mean, well, okay, maybe he didn't spend as much time in doctrine as he as he should have, but you know, that stuff's not important. That does, stuff doesn't supersede evangelism. That stuff doesn't supersede the fact that the world is watching us. And God has so graciously shown us in his process Providence, what a foolish resolution mm. resolution one was that then resulted in a foolish resolution two that left people confused that left uh, public news representatives confused about whether we adopt CRTI or not and mm-hmm. now they're confused about whether it's okay for a pastor to um, to use other pastors stuff without citing it or not I mean we're just we're, we're being exposed 
exposed by God, yeah. the, the jellyfish nature of the Southern Baptist Convention is being exposed right. in this example. So for everybody that you know has a tendency to point and say, I'll point and I'm pull the log out of, or the speck out of somebody else's eye when I have the log on my own. Uh, yes, address Ed Litton. Be willing to address this quite honestly as we have. And as you do, check yourself too mm-hmm. and ask yourself the question, how did we end up here as right. a convention of churches? Yeah, and, and one of the most telling things about this is to see how his defenders have reacted. It, they're just pointing fingers and saying, you guys are mean, and anybody that calls attention to this, well, don't you know he apologized? It's under the blood. It's grace. And I mean, why in the world would you keep making an issue of this? And again, the evidence is overwhelming to my mind, and I haven't seen all of it, but what I've seen is enough to, to make me say, no, there's something here that must be investigated. And then when you consider that in the light of what every evangelical was saying 10, 15 years ago, There are multiple articles that have been written against pulpit plagiarism published everywhere from uh, Al Mohler's uh, Just Thinking or his Thinking in Public uh, podcast and uh, the daily deal he does to the Gospel Coalition. Uh, J.D. Greer has an article on pulpit plagiarism. I mean, everybody, everybody 10, 15 years ago in the Christian evangelical world would say, no, you shouldn't do this. This is wrong. And yet today it's being done. And it's very obvious that it's been done. And what you see is a kind of tribalism that has arisen and said, that's our guy. Don't you touch him. Don't you criticize him. And if you do, you're bad and you're divisive and you're just not uh, loving people. And you don't care what the world thinks because the world is watching. And it's ugly. But again, God's exposing it. The rod is deep. And here's an opportunity. So if you're a Southern Baptist pastor, if you're a Southern Baptist pastor especially, I would encourage you, maybe write uh, Ed Litton. I've done that. Uh, write the church. You can write the EC. There's a, a committee that exists, the Credentials Committee. If you have concern about a church in the SBC that's letting things go on in this church that shouldn't happen, you can write there. Pray. Uh, let your concerns be known to your local association, to your state convention, and to the national convention. I mean, you know, we can't do anything as church to correct this, but there are people who can speak to it and could speak to Ed in a way that hopefully he would listen to them to try to care for his soul. Don't don't be angry about it. Uh, Be full of mercy and concern and a desire to see justice and truth prevail. And as Jared said, man, take it as an opportunity to examine yourself because we are all in desperate need of God's grace. And the fact that this is happening now is indication that God is determined to just kind of pull back the cover and make us see, make force us to look at how deep the rot goes in the SBC. Thanks for listening to The Sword and the Child today. 